Hey, this is Candace Pringle, lead pastor of Effie Church, and this is our podcast. right? Anybody else need a little breakthrough right now? This series just really comes directly out of my heart's desire for breakthrough, for victory. I don't know about you, but sometimes I get a little faith fatigue, right? It becomes hard to continue to believe day after day when it feels like everything is coming against you. I get a little burnout from fighting, right? And I'm asking God, do I have to keep fighting? How long will I have to keep fighting God? But those are the moments I should be pressing in more, right? That I should be pursuing God more, giving it to God more, and looking for that victory. Now, I love an underdog story. Anybody else love an underdog story? Like, you, you, you just have to love when the guy who was down and out, destined to never have a victory, and, and he suddenly struggles his way to the top, right? You see that breakthrough. It's like the end of the movie, and everybody's happy, and he gets his win. And I love the Bible for its underdog stories. There are so many of them, proving that God doesn't always use the most qualified, right? He, he doesn't always use the most likely sub suspect, the most likely suspect. He often will go for the person you least expect. You don't have to be the most faithful or the most perfect or, or the smartest, the sharpest tool in the shed, right? God will use you if you're willing. And so there's this odd sort of underdog story found in Judges that, to be honest, really threw me for a loop this week. I was not planning to preach this particular story, but I just couldn't get away from it when I was studying this week. And I found it in Judges 10, 11, and 12. It's a story that sort of spans those three chapters. And honestly, since I've grown up in the church and studied the Bible pretty extensively, I can kind of guess where a story's going, right? You can sort of understand what the moral of the story is. If you grew up in, in children's ministry, you've heard a bunch of these stories before. This one, I either have never read it before or I just forgot it. It's an odd story. <laughs> and it's not one of those that's easily guessable. I kept trying to anticipate what was going to happen next, and I kept being very, very wrong. I just didn't remember this story. But I love how the Bible tells us like it is, right? Not every story has a very clear-cut moral, and you sort of have to dig to find it. And it certainly doesn't hide humanity's mess, does it? In fact, God shows us the mess. It gives some validity to the Bible that we not only see our heroes' victories, but we see them struggle, too. We can identify with them in the mess. And so Here's a little background you have to know 
for this story is both the story of Israel and the story of an individual. And Israel in Judges 10 was just utterly messed up, as we usually find them, right? The just not in a good place. In Judges 10, verse 6, it says, They served the images of Baal and Ashtoreth and the gods of Aram, Sidon, Moab, Ammon, and Philistia. Just all of them, right? They just collected all the gods of that time. They just decided to serve them all. And they abandoned the Lord and no longer served him at all. God's people, the people, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, their ancestors, that he chose them to be a light to all the world, to be the example to everyone else, not worshiping him at all. So the Lord burned with anger against Israel, and he turned them over to the Philistines and the Ammonites, who began to oppress them that year. For 18 years, they oppressed all the Israelites east of the Jordan River in the land of the Amorites, that is, in Gilead. The Ammonites also crossed to the west side of the Jordan and attacked Judah, Benjamin, and Ephraim. The Israelites were in great distress. I feel like that might be a slight understatement that existed in the Bible. They were, they were in great distress after 18 years of being in slavery, of being oppressed by their enemies. They were in great distress. And finally, verse 10 says, they cried out to the Lord for help. Finally, finally, after 18 years, I mean, how far lost do you have to be? It takes that much destruction for you to finally cry out to the Lord for help. And we can easily look at them and say that, but we, we do it all the time, right? We get ourselves dug into these holes and we just can't see our way out. I can't tell you how many people I talk to as a pastor on a weekly basis that come to me about problems and issues in their life and I say, well, you know, what, what does God say about that? Have you guys talked? And they're like, oh, um, if I've asked God for help, actually. <laughs> Maybe I should talk to him, right? We forget. We forget that the God of creation, the God of heaven and earth, is accessible to us. We're so deep into our mess. And so we see over the next couple of verses that Israel, they take a good first step. They confess their sin. They acknowledge that they have been worshiping other gods and that that's wrong. But so far, that's, that's the furthest they go. And confession is a great first step, but it is only that. It's a first step. It's not enough to invite the rescue of God Almighty. And, and in fact, God does talk back, so it opens up that line of communication. That's what honest conversations with him do. They open up the lines of communication again. But God's a little snarky. Did you know God can be a little snarky? In fact, he says back to them, why don't you go ask the gods that you love so much? Why don't you go ask them for help? <laughs> Been worshiping all these other gods, maybe they'll help you. That's what he basically says. And it wasn't until verse 16 in that chapter where it says, then the Israelites put aside their foreign gods and served the Lord. Another version I studied this week said they destroyed their foreign gods and worshiped only the Lord. It wasn't until they did that that it goes on to say, and God was grieved by their misery. God was grieved 
by their misery. He wasn't moved to compassion when they were only confessing. He was moved to compassion when they also abandoned the old ways, when they destroyed those old bridges and they said, there's no going back. It's only the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God's not snarky with us anymore when we're honest and willing to change. He's moved to compassion when we worship him with honest hearts, repentant hearts. And so this is the picture of Israel that I want you to keep in your mind. They're destroyed, they're despondent, but they're ready to come back to God with honest hearts and finally, finally ready to enjoy the favor of the God of Israel again. But when you ask the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of heaven and earth, when, when you ask him for help, you better be ready to receive the help that he provides. And it's not always from the most likely source, right? And so enter Jephthah. Everybody say Jephthah. That's his name. It took me a while. I had to Google it to figure out how to say it, right? Jephthah, and I keep calling him Jeff because it's just less to say. Good old Jeff, he was an outcast. He was born from a prostitute, and because Israel was crazy and doing whatever they wanted, and they weren't exactly godly people at this point, he, as he grew up, his half-brothers from legitimate mothers, they cast him out. They threw him out into the street so that he wouldn't try to steal their inheritance. I mean, Jephthah was handed a bad deal. Through no fault of his own, he found himself an outcast from his own family, his own society. And the people of Israel must have supported this. The town's people, the, the, the society must have supported this decision because no one took him in. Not one. Remember, as we covered a few weeks ago, Jesus' followers were the one who changed the culture on how we look at children. We now value children because of Jesus' teachings, but the ancients, they didn't have this. And so nobody valued poor Jeff. He was outcast. And, and we see him in Judges chapter 11. He ends up living in the land of Tob. Everybody say Tob. <laughs> it's another fun one to say. And the land of Tob for Jeff was an outcast land. The land where nobody's going to bother him and torment him and cast him out anymore because no one's there, right? It's the other side of the tracks. It's the place nobody wants to be. You have to be. This is Tob. And as I began to read through this, I, I identified with Tob living a little bit, right? We've all found ourselves an outcast at some point in our lives, Maybe because of something you did, because of something you didn't do, because someone lied about you or judged you or who knows, but you found yourself on the outside looking in. The outcast, the one no one wants to be around. And it's not a fun place to be, is it? Jeff was the underdog, the one no one wanted, the, the product of some bad decisions that no one wanted to take responsibility for. It wasn't his fault, but that's where he found himself. But also in Tob, Jephthah found himself a group of people. Judges 11.3 says, soon he had a band of worthless rebels following him. <laughs> I love that because it wasn't just any group. It was a group of worthless rebels proving that we're not ever quite as alone 
as we think we are, are we? But how many of you know worthless means something different to God than it does to people? And aren't you glad about that? I'm glad that when people called me worthless, when people called me names, God called me something else. He called me worthy. He called me able. He called me ready. And certainly seems to be the case with Jeff, because he not only found himself with this group, but it says they were following him. The gifts and callings of God are without repentance, Romans 11 tells us. And I believe that when God gifts you, he doesn't change his mind. That's what that verse means. I think Jeff all along had a gift of leadership on his life. Maybe that's why his brothers ended up casting him out. They felt threatened by that or something. But here he finds himself not only in top, surrounded by people, but leading those people. Now, here's the part of the story where I thought, for sure I know what's coming, right? I, I can guess the end of this story. For sure, what's going to happen is Israel's in a bad place, and, and Jeff is, through no fault of his own, in Tob, but he's, he's a good guy, right? He's righteous. He's trying to follow the Lord the best that he can. I'm sure he's a good guy, and God's going to promote him, and he's going to win the, the battle, and it'll, it'll be this ultimate underdog story. But the Bible can be messy sometimes, just like humanity can. That's not how this story ends up going. In fact, it says these band of worthless rebels were really great warriors. And I think the Bible sticks with the worthless rebels thing. Because out in the land of Tob, they were criminals. They were robbing people. That's how they got their skills of being great warriors and worthless rebels. I, I think they were out there up to no good, but they made a good living by it. They were good at it, right? They built their skills. And so the funny thing is, the lesson that that taught me was what you think disqualifies you from serving God might just be the very thing that God uses to qualify you. I continue to be surprised about the things that God uses in my life for sure. All of the things I think should disqualify me, my lack of education, my gender, my, my shyness, my introversion, whatever, those are exactly the things that God continues to use over and over again. And not just use, but he tells me there is fulfillment of that coming. It might not be today, but I have the desires of your heart in my heart. I've got you. For now, though, use them as your testimony. Use them for me. It's the very things I think are going to disqualify me that's the most powerful testimony that I have. And if only Jeff would have understood that. If only he would have been able to grasp that. Because we start to see, this is the part of the story where we start to see the two collide. Israel's issues and Jeff's issues. And so in Judges 11.4 it says, At about this time, the Ammonites began their war against Israel. When the Ammonites attacked, the elders of Gilead sent for Jephthah in the land of Tob. The elders said, come and be our commander. Help us fight the Ammonites. But Jephthah said to them, he, he calls them out. Right? He doesn't let them get away with this. Aren't you the ones that hated me and drove me from my father's house? Why do you come to me now when you're in trouble? Because we need you, the elders replied. If you lead us in battle against the Ammonites, we will make you ruler over all the people of Gilead. Jeff says to the elders, let me get this straight. Right? 
let me get this straight. If I come with you, and if the Lord gives me victory over the Ammonites, you'll really make me ruler over all the people. And I think it's at this point Jeff starts to get some stars in his eyes a little bit. Right? I'm going to get power over everybody? Really? You're going to stand by this? Really? He's still a little skeptical, but he's starting to feel the power coming. The Lord is our witness, the elders replied. We promise to do whatever you say. So Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead, and the people made him their ruler and commander of the army. At Mizpah, in the presence of the Lord, Jephthah repeated what he had said to the elders. Then Jephthah sent messengers to the king of Ammon, asking, why have you come out to fight against my land? I think this might have been Jeff's first mistake. Because was it Jeff's land? (laughs) Sure, he was just made ruler of it, but was it God's land? Was it the people's land that God had given them? This is the should have been getting those questions straight. Instead, he said, let me get this straight. You're going to give me all the power if I just win this battle for you. See, his priorities get a little off here. Remember, Jeff is an outcast. He probably has built that into his identity somehow. He's the son of a prostitute. He's owed nothing, given nothing in life. Everything he has, he's earned with his own two hands, right? And now he has a chance to be vindicated, a chance to show them all the leader that he's been all along, a chance to shove it in his brother's face, right? Those guys that cast me out and didn't believe in me back then, and now they're going to have to come crawling back to me, asking me for handouts. I think Jephthah was in this completely for himself. He saw all of his dreams coming true. The thing is, anointing from God, gifting from God, doesn't come for nothing. And it certainly doesn't come for selfish reasons. I looked throughout the Old Testament. There's about 100 people that it says that God's spirit was resting with them. Just 100 in all the pages of the Old Testament. And it's, it's kings, it's priests. It's prophets. It's people that God supernaturally used for the benefit of his people, not for themselves. In fact, I didn't find one single instance of someone being anointed for selfish reasons alone. It's always in the service of other people. And in the New Testament, by the way, we are all gifted with the Holy Spirit if we believe in Jesus Christ, right? We, we all have access to that. And we all have a job description, don't we? Go into all the world, preach the good news, baptize new disciples. That is the job description. We all have to be in service to others, proclaiming the good news. And that's why we're anointed. Jeff didn't understand that. All he saw was stars in his eyes. All he saw was vindication and power, calling it my land and saying, let me get this straight. You're going to hand me kingship, essentially. And they called it ruler or a judge back then. But I, I get to make the calls. I get to have the power. It's incredibly important why you want the victory. 
And as we go into this series talking about the promises of God and how to get that victorious mindset in his kingdom, there's some things we got to get straight first. Why do you want the victory? Do, do you want breakthrough just so life is a little easier? Just so you can sit on the couch a little more and watch Netflix? Like You want a little less stress in your life so things are easier? Or do you want to serve people better? Do you want more time to serve the church or serve the poor or heal the sick or lead more people to Jesus? What do you want the breakthrough for? What are you going to use it for? Remember, God looks at the heart, not just the outward appearance. He looks at our intentions, not just our actions. So we have to examine our own motives because God is. He's examining our motives, and and our hearts are endlessly wicked, the Bible says. I know Disney says to follow your heart, but the Bible says it's endlessly wicked. We can't, like we talked about last week, we can't just trust our own ways. We have to trust in the Lord, and we can make excuses for all kinds of behavior. But if we have selfish motives, at some point... All of that's going to break down. And it's actually possible to want something too bad because of selfish motives. I don't think ambition by itself is inherently sinful. A lot of times ambition is just the the gifts and callings that God has put within you. You want to get them going. You want to be put to good use. You want to serve other people. In this case, I think Jeff had selfish motives. He wanted to win this victory so bad that he couldn't get the why right. He couldn't understand that God was using him to serve the nation of Israel, not just for him, for more power. And so it's incredibly important, as we'll see in the next piece of the story, to really nail down the why. Because in Judges 11, verse 29, it says, At that time the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah, and he went throughout the land of Gilead and Manasseh, including Mizpah and Gilead, and from there he led an army against the Ammonites. So he's stepping out. He's beginning this process, but even with the Spirit of the Lord on him. I mean, you caught that, right? He's one of the 100 in the Old Testament that had the Spirit of the Lord on him, just even if it's just for that moment. And here again, I think I think I for sure thought I, I know what's coming next. Right? Again, the underdog story. He's going to win this battle and everything's going to work out. It's not what happened, though. <laughs> Even with the spirit on the Lord, of the Lord on him, I think Jeff doubted. I think he had failed so many times and for so long. Uh, he saw himself as a failure. He couldn't fully bring himself to trust the Lord because he, he had his identity all wrong. He couldn't see himself as a child of God because he couldn't see himself as a child of anyone. He, he couldn't see himself as fully victorious because he had built his identity in failure. The problem with that is God never asks us to be strong in our own strength, right? Ephesians 6.10 says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. It says, rely on him, trust him. You don't have to do this on your own. And I think more than to be of service, Jeff wanted vindication for himself, power for himself. So he needed more assurance. He needed more. He doubted the word of the Lord ultimately. 
He was still relying on himself too much. One commentary I read said he set out to purchase the favor that he desired. I know it sounds crazy, but we do this a lot. God, if I just attend church, if I'm just a good person, if I just try harder, you're going to work this out for me, right? When in fact, the only payment God needs is our obedience. He just calls us to obedience. He just asks that we submit ourselves to the blood of the cross. And he's going to work out the rest for us. He's going to work out the fame. He wants you famous if you're living a life of servanthood, actually. He wants you blessed. He wants you walking in that freedom. But Jeff couldn't trust that. So just to be sure, because his whole life and identity were riding on this. In verse 30, it says that he made a vow to the Lord. A stupid vow. Just the dumbest vow ever. He said... If you give me victory over the Ammonites, I will give to the Lord whatever comes out of my house to meet me when I return in triumph. I will sacrifice it as a burnt offering. Anybody else find that just the dumbest? I mean, what do you think, a calf is going to come out to greet you? What's coming out of your house, Jeff? It's incredibly open-ended and dumb. God never called you to make rash vows. He just asked you to step out in obedience. And I imagine marching toward that army was incredibly scary. I'm sure the fear rose up in him a little bit, right? He's sure he's got his band of worthless rebels and his army behind him. But this is unlike anything he has ever tried to do before, right? And I think he relied a little on the religions of his people, not the God of Israel kind, (laughs) with those Baal and Ashtoreth, and they did a lot with sacrifice, and they made a lot of deals with their gods, and I think he reverted to that in fear. Instead of staking his claim and the promises of the God of Israel, he reverted to old ways in fear. And so in verse 32, Jephthah led his army against the Ammonites, and the Lord gave him victory. He crushed the Ammonites, devastating about 20 towns from Aurora to an area near Mineth and as far away as Abil Kararim. In this way, Israel defeated the Ammonites. This should be our breakthrough moment, right? He got his victory. The underdog wins. It must have been like the end of a good sports movie. Everybody cheering and, and then tears flowing and vindication and victory. It was all good. And yet we have that vow. And I thought again, here for sure, I knew what was coming. (laughs) God's going to work it out for him. But how did he get his victory? Right? Because this matters a lot, too. It's not only the whys, the motives behind it, but how did you go about getting it? Did you trust the Lord, step out in simple obedience to him? Or did you make silly vows, revert to the old ways of doing things? Did you make decisions based in fear? Because victory on the battlefield doesn't necessarily mean victory at home. And just for another curveball in this crazy story, the the vow that Jeff made, this stupid vow about sacrificing whatever came out of his house to greet him, it, it was essentially his insurance policy because he didn't fully trust God. But that whatever turned out to be a whomever, his 
one and only daughter <laughs> came out of his house joyfully to greet him. She had a tambourine, and she was dancing, and she, her father won, right? Victory. Instead of victory for Jeff, though, because it was his daughter that came out first, he tore his clothes and wailed in agony and said, you've ruined this for me. Literally, he said that to his little girl. You've ruined this for me. And he sacrificed her to God. And again, I'm reeling, right? God, how could you let this happen? There's no way you wanted this to happen, right? And I'm researching and I'm looking up commentaries. And the one thing all of the Bible scholars and the commentaries I read agreed on is that we never once see Jeff asking God for his opinion. We never once see Jeff have a conversation with God. I don't think the Bible left that part out. I think it didn't happen. <laughs> I don't think Jeff asked God whether he wanted him to sacrifice whatever came out of his house. I, I think he was in this purely for Jeff, not for God, not for the people, but for the power the God of Israel rarely asked for human sacrifice, and he did it with Jesus for all of us forever, and Jesus willingly put himself there. But I don't think this is what God wanted. I don't think it was ever part of the deal. If Jeff had humbled himself before God and relied on God's authority to get this done instead of his own skills and arrogance, maybe he would have known that God was going to give him the victory no matter what. For Israel's sake. Instead, he relied on other religions' customs of making vows and human sacrifices, and he turned his heart away. Which is proof, by the way, that even though we are filled with the Holy Spirit as believers, we can still ignore the victory right in front of us. Push down the voice of the Holy Spirit, that still small voice, the wisdom, and we can react in fear instead. We, each and every one of us, have access to the Holy Spirit every day. And as believers, we get to tap into that. But we have to listen. We have to stop and slow down and have honest conversations with God. There is victory in Jesus. Victory and freedom and hope. But we willingly put ourselves back into slavery over and over and over. We tamp down the voices of hope and freedom and we react in fear. See, I thought this whole story, these three chapters, were going to be two victories. I thought it was going to be the underdog story and Israel coming back to God, and they were both going to get victory, and we were going to see Jeff rule for many years as a good guy in the kingdom of God. But unfortunately, this story only has one victory, Israel's. Israel not only confessed, but they repented. They turned from their wicked ways, and God had compassion on them. He grieved at their misery, and he delivered them to a leader who would give them victory. Israel won. By the way, God's rescue usually comes in the form of a person, and most likely, it'll be the least likely person. <laughs> God rescues us when we're honest with him, when we turn from our wicked ways and, and repent. Israel had their why down. They were tired of losing. They were ready 
to repent. They also had their how down. They knew that they had to destroy the idols, get rid of all of that stuff, and choose to serve God again, to humble themselves before the Lord. They won because of those two things, and those two things alone, not in their own strength, in their own power, because of God's strength and power, because they submitted themselves to him. Jeff, however, the least likely Sure, he won the battle for Israel, but he lost at home. Back then, especially, family was everything. Legacy was everything. Jeff ended up only ruling in Gilead for six years. He had the opportunity for victory. And don't you love that no matter what our past is, God gives us the opportunity but what are you going to do with it? Jeff wanted glory for himself, and he let doubt win. Those are his whys and hows. Because with significant victory, or the potential for significant victory, comes the potential for significant loss as well. My uncle always said, if you stick your head above the crowd, somebody's bound to take a whack at it. Right? Leadership comes with inherent risks. The more public your successes, the more public your failures as well. There was potential for significant loss here. And there's potential for significant loss when we're serving God too. That's why we have to get our whys and our hows down. Why do you want the victory? Why are you asking God for breakthrough? And then how are you going to go about getting it? Ephesians 6 gives us the answer to both. Be strong in the Lord. We want the victory for the Lord, not for ourselves. And in his mighty power. That's how we're going to go about getting it. In his mighty power. Not on my own. See, God's victories are whole. They are complete. And I I looked for this throughout the word. I looked for other victories, other restorations, when people repented and they trusted God, how does God restore us, right? Is, is it ever partial? And honestly, I didn't find any partial restorations, any partial victories. When people fully trusted the Lord, they got fully restored. Think about Joseph, for example. Hit the guy, the coat with many colors, he got thrown into a pit and sold into slavery by his brothers out of jealousy and, and shipped off to a new land In the end, though, that story, he gets back exponentially more than he lost. He ended up becoming the second to the highest leader in the nation. He got castles and families and and riches. And not only that, but his original family came back to him as well. He got it all because God gives whole victories, complete restorations. And God's addition isn't, uh, sorry, his math isn't addition. It's multiplication. He multiplies blessing in your life when you choose to submit yourself to him, when you choose to trust him, no matter how bad it looks when you trust him. Job is another example I found, right, where he lost everything. He had family and riches and fields. He lost it all, and God restored it all times I think it it was a ton more than he had before he had so much more riches so much more family so much more health he got to enjoy long life and long days 
in that atmosphere. Because God, when he restores, he restores exponentially. His victories are whole and complete. Israel got a whole victory here. Jeff didn't. This series isn't about being victorious in politics or triumphing over our enemies. It's about seeing breakthrough in your life. But before you set out to see the breakthrough, to seek the breakthrough, you must be aware of your own motives. You must examine your own motives and be very, very clear on who wins the battle for us. Jeff's story is a cautionary tale. It's a, a could have been a vindication for him. It could have been restoration for an individual as well as for a nation, but he didn't examine his own motives. He didn't rely solely on the Lord. There are plenty of those stories. I just shared a couple of them, but there are plenty of those stories throughout the word where the good guy, the, the underdog, he did trust the Lord, and he got back so much more than he lost. But this isn't one of them. There are these kind too in the Bible. God still worked it out for the good of his people. That's why this story is a victory story for them, for the repentant, for those who confess and turn from their ways. But it could have been so much more. Now, we can go the way of Jeff. We can take things into our own hands. We can choose to trust ourselves over him, or we can get our priorities straight. We can understand the whys and the hows. And when you get those straight, you can declare the promises of the Lord. They are yours to keep, just like all the songs that we sang today. You can proclaim them over your life when you're in right standing relationship with God. They are a right to you, believer. Verses like Romans 8, 28, God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. That is yours to claim as a promise you can proclaim over your life. There's Exodus 14, 14. The Lord will fight for you. You only need to be still. Isaiah 40, 29 says, He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Isaiah 40, 31 says, But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Isaiah 41 10 says, so do not fear for I am with you. Do not be dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Isaiah 4, 13 says, for I am the Lord your God who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, do not fear. I will help you. Our God catches every tear. Our God looses the chains of injustice. He unties the cords of the yoke of religion. He restores our soul. He sets the captives free. He breaks every chain of slavery. Our God provides. Our God delivers. Our God issues freedom. He washes peace over us that passes all understanding. He gives wisdom to anyone who asks. He sent us Jesus. Our God gives freedom, hope. He gives us a way where there is no way. He always provides a way out. That's who he is. Our God sent us Jesus to wash our slates clean 
and to bring us into right relationship with him. We are victorious in Christ. We are victorious in Christ. We just can't forget that last part. We aren't victorious in our own strength for our own strength and power. We're victorious in him and him alone. And we have the promises of God to claim as his. We are victorious. Father, today we thank you. We praise you. We humble ourselves before you, knowing that you are God. Thank you for being such a big God that cares about even us individuals. Thank you for caring about who we are and looking out for our best interests. Father, help us trust you with that. Help us trust that you have the best in mind for us, that you want good things for us. And if we would just trust you and serve you in spite of all the circumstances that want to hold us back, that you would bring the blessing, you would bring the restoration and the hope and the victory. Father, I pray for everyone here now that that may be realizing that they've been praying with selfish motives. That the things that they want in life, the breakthroughs, the victories, they're not to serve other people or serve you. They're just to have a little bit more of a, a lazy life, a easy life. God, I pray that you would turn our hearts toward people, toward you, that we would love God and love people with the best of everything that we have. Father, I pray for those sitting here today that are realizing maybe they've been relying on their own strength too much. And they need to rely on yours and yours alone. Tap into that power that you've given every single individual. Power, love, and a sound mind. If we just submit ourselves to you, your will for our lives, you give us everything that we need. You are the provider provider of strength and wisdom and hope and peace. We thank you for that. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, please let us know by going to fv.church slash in. And remember to download our app for more content and helpful links. Because if I'm winning, people recognize my winning and then they see me as a winner. Do I? Yeah, that's a lot, a lot of train of thought there. <laughs> or do I want to win because when I win, people see God's victory through me? And, and of course, that's the easy answer for me to say, but I need to check my motives and my heart because I'm the only one who can do that. I'm the only one who can challenge myself. And if I want to win for the sake of the cross, what can stop me from that victory? Right? Me, I guess. So I'm gonna look at my values, my, my, my goals, my reasons this week and, and anything that isn't for his glory, it's gotta go, it's gotta go. Would you stand up as we move forward with this service, declaring the victory that is already assured to us. We didn't call this 
this series victory, we called it victorious because that's what we are. So let's declare that right now before we move on from this place. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time of worship, this season of victory that we're moving into. We thank you that you call us your children, that you have good things in store for us. Help us to line ourselves up with your will so that we are guaranteed the victory of Scripture. We declare it over the lives of everyone here and in our, in our families and in our midst that you will win. I'm going to be with you when you do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks so much, Freedom Valley. We'll see you next week.